0: Here's a preview from this episode.
1: And that spark is what what kept me going. And yeah, I'm not going to say here that I did it on my own. No, I I had friends, I have family by my side that will help me when I did go down sometimes that rabbit hole of despair and they will bring me back. So you got this, don't give up, remember what drives you. So, you know, that's what helped a lot for me to come out ahead.
0: Beautiful soul, have you ever wanted to speak to angels? Do you believe angels can support you in your daily life? If this is you, go to my website homepage, theangelmedium.com, and sign up for my weekly angel message email. As a gift for signing up, I'm giving you access to free resources, including 31 healing meditations that, if you do daily, are going to help you hear your angels and your own intuition more clearly start using these today and you'll see changes in 31 days now take a deep breath feel the presence of your angels as they fill you with love joy peace bliss and ease and remember your angels say the messages that resonate with you in today's episode are meant just for you. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to the Angels and Awakening podcast. I'm your host and author, Julie Jancis. And friends, we have a very, very special guest with us today. His name is Israel Del Toro. And that's a junior because we've got Israel Del Toro Jr., your dad or senior, who's going to come into this story today. But Israel is somebody that you have probably seen on the news sharing his story. I believe it's really just an angel story, all that he has gone through and endured. And we're putting this here on Monday, even though we normally put angel stories over on Thursday. And I really, really want you to trust me and just listen in today because I think that his story just has so much hope and strength that I know I've gained from reading his book and learning about him. And Israel, you're just a blessing to this world. Thank you for being here.
1: Oh, thank you, Julie. Thank you for having me on. So
0: you were in the Air Force, you were in Afghanistan, and you were in an accident. As a female, I want to say IUD, but it's not IUD, it's IED. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that in a second. But as I was reading your book, the first three chapters just really touched my heart because You're from Chicagoland, and you start off the book talking about how your dad was sick. They took him to Mexico. You get this call the day before he passes, and they kind of like call you inside from playing, and your dad is serious on the phone, and he's like, I need you to make me this promise. Tell us about that moment.
1: Yeah, so January 25th, 1988. And I was just outside, you know, normal day, you know, hanging out, playing. And my mom calls. It's like, hey, your dad wants to talk to you. Come on inside. So I come inside and, you know, I get on the phone and just talk to my dad like normal. And then towards the end, like when we're about to hang up, he says, I need you to promise me something. I was like, okay, dad, what? I was like, I need you to promise to take care of your family. You know, take care of your brothers and sisters. And, you know, as a 12-year-old kid, you're like, okay, yeah, whatever, yeah, whatever, dad. And he's like, no. I need you to say, promise me that you'll take care of your family. It's like, okay, dad, I promise. And I asked him, do you, do you want to talk to anyone else? He's like, no, I've already talked to anyone else. I was like, we'll talk again. Okay. Just take care of yourselves. Okay. Yeah, dad. Sounds good. And I hang up and like nothing. And I was, you know, the, the next day, you know, we come home from school to my cousins, my older cousins were there. And normally they're we're all happy and, and joyful, but they had a somber face and. They take us inside and they tell my mom to tell me and my friends and sisters to go to our room. And again, as a curious 12-year-old from my room, I was able to look into the dining room where they were at. And, you know, I see my mom break down crying. And for some reason, I knew what had happened yeah. and that I had lost my dad.
0: It's so interesting because there's so many, icy angel stories in your story where it feels like he knew that, you feel like he knew that he was gonna go? yeah,
1: you know, there's times where I you know I wonder And I was like, did my dad know that you know you know he was gonna pass away? I don't know if he knew like it was gonna happen the next day or he felt that it was coming, and he just wanted to prepare me to kind of be focused on what's priority, so there are times when I think like that and but because you know if he did think that way, that promise kind of guided me to on a path to kind of shaped that to the person I became and helped me overcome a lot of obstacles that I went through.
0: You talk later in your story too. So dad passes, you have a extended family who's near you, like living really close to you, who steps up and is, is there. But your mom isn't maybe processing dad's passing in the best way. And she just keeps having revolving door of guys come over to the house. You talk about, too, how had this sense or this dream, recurring dream, that she was going to pass. And you talked about that within the car. Can you tell everybody that piece?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, like you said, you know, my mom, I like to say, like, she lost her way after my dad passed. And I I tried to bring her back, but, you know, we got to a point where, you know, she threatened if I continued to be the way I was. You know, she will send me into boarding school and I'll never see my brothers and sisters again. And that will totally go against what I promised my dad. We, we kind of made peace, you know. And there was this dream that I had and we were in the car and I was telling my mom that I had this dream that, you know, she passed. And she kind of just shrugged it off and laughed. I was like, ah, oh, it's just a dream. Don't worry. And but I asked her, like, what if something happened? Where do you, What do you want? What do you want to do? You know, where do you want me to bury you where should we bury you and you know at the time i was what i had maybe 13 um, i was about turned 14 and she's like well if i do pass i want you to bury me in the cemetery that has the, the water fountain or the, the yeah the water fountain in front that's where i want you to bury me and i'm like okay you know again it's no one thinks that a dream's gonna come true but unfortunately did and. And because I had that conversation with my mom, I knew where she wanted to be buried. In. And that's where we ended up burying her at that cemetery that had the, the water fountain in front, because she always thought it was real pretty, that cemetery, the entrance.
0: I just think it's so fascinating, too, your intuition. And I'm going to get to a, to another piece here, but you're just so intuitive throughout this book and your entire story with just the things that you knew and you just felt within your your physical being or the dreams that came to you. I love how you talk about from being from Chicago, I know what it is a, a big deal to go to U of I and that had always been a dream of yours. You know, it's a few years later and you're able, you get into U of I. I love the story when you go over into the counselor's office who told you to forget <laughs> that dream I mean, you kind of tell him off a little bit and get detention for a month. was
1: um, so, so worth it though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Well, it comes in later, too, you know, when you're at the Invictus Games with Prince Harry and you're trying to memorize so that you don't say this swear word in front of all these people. And Harry goes, just go for it. Just say the word. Um, Man after my own heart. But you have this opportunity to go to U of I, you go there, you're living your dream and your grandparents get sick and it forces you to go back home and really kind of take care of your siblings. I think it's really fascinating too, how you find out that there isn't the money left over from your mom's accident uh, settlement. And, and you ended up, stepping up and kind of suing the family to get what was left $10,000 for for each child but you talk about how you got the opportunity to go into the air force and i want to skip forward to the part where you're in afghanistan and your lieutenant who's senior above you is kind of making some bad decisions which you feel instinctively within you and tell everybody about how the accident unfolded.
1: So it was December 4th, 2005. And you mentioned the LT, you know, he was young. This was his first deployment straight out of, you know, West Point. So, he, you know, as a role as an NCO, non commissioned officer is to kind of guide, you know, these young officers and, and he try and help them so they become these, you know, these hopefully great leaders. So that day, like, we're coming back from a mission. He was driving. Normally, he wouldn't drive; it would be somebody else. But he wanted to drive because, again, he was he was young. And we're like, all right. And normally, I would be in the second vehicle. Because I'm the guy that co- is the fire support element. I call him the airstrikes. So you would don't want to risk losing me. Uh, by that time, you know, I was like, well, I'll go with the lieutenant in the lead vehicle and, and as a and the passenger. And we're coming back. Uh, we're on our way to pick up the second half of our team. And we cross this creek, and nowhere just 200 meters after we cross this creek, do I feel an intense heat blast on my left side? And in my head, I'm like, "Holy crap, we just got hit!" And people talk about how their life flashes in front of them, and I I never really believed that. But when I got hit, it was almost like an old time movie reel, where you know you had those picture frames slowly going. But instead of like reliving my life, it was like things that hadn't happened yet. Like three distinct ones that I remember is one where me and my wife finally got to get married by the Catholic Church after our third attempt. Because every time we tried, I would head downrange and we have to reschedule. The second one was us honeymooning in Greece because that's where she always wanted to go. Unfortunately, I, I still haven't favored that dream. So let's not try and remind her of that, please. <laughs> but lastly was me teaching my boy how to play ball. I was a ball player you know, the dream of any father, especially on Father's Day, you're playing catch with your son. And that's what I was in my head. And then something inside kind of clicked. So you got to get out of this truck and I get out of the truck. But I, when I got out of the truck, I was on fire from head to toe. But I knew there was that creek behind me. So I tried to turn drunk to, to it. Uh, but the flames overtook me and I collapsed. And I'm laying there. It's like, this is it. I was like, I'm going to die here. I was like, I'm going to break my promise to my family. i always come back. I want to break my promise to my son that I'll never let him grow up without his dad like I did. But most importantly, I I'm want to break my promise I made to my dad so many years ago that I always take care of my family. But then that's when the lieutenant says, DT, you're not going to die here. and helps me out. And we both jumped to the creek and he jumped in the creek because I kind of lit him on fire. And I was like, sorry, dude, can't really control fl- fire. <laughs> but the sound that I heard when we both jumped in the creek was the same sound you hear when you put a hot pan in cold water. But instead of a pot pan, it was my body.
0: What I found so fascinating is when you talk about how your memories are flashing in front of you, but they're memories that haven't happened yet, they're future memories. And even though we haven't gone to Greece, we won't remind your wife of that, um, <laughs> but I still think that you're going to. What spirit shows me all the time is that they're coming through with things that are to come beautiful, positive, loving things that give us this strength and this hope and something to really like anchor into and draw us into our future. And you saw that with seeing this vision of you and your wife getting married, seeing this vision of teaching your son how to play baseball and being a Chicagoan again. There's a great picture of your son wearing like a Sox jersey and you got the Cubs jersey on. Did you know I give away a new free reading each month to a listener who leaves a five-star rating of this show on Apple Podcasts or Amazon? After you leave five stars, go over to the Contact Me page on my website, theangelmedium.com. Fill out the Contact Me form, letting us know that you gave five stars. That way, we can contact you when you win. The more five stars you leave, the more chances you have to win. And your name always stays in until you do. Don't forget to stay subscribed to our emails so that you know when you've won your free session with me. Sending you so much love and gratitude for your support on this. Thank you. Now let's dive back into the show. Did you feel like those flashes of future memories as you wake up in the hospital, you're in so much pain, you want to pass away because the pain is so intense? Did those drive you forward in your recovery and healing?
1: I like to say we have sparks inside of us. Yeah. It's kind of strange that here's a burn guy now talking about a spark inside of us, but we do something that lights us, that keeps us going that keeps us fighting and pushing forward. You know, for me, it, it, it were not only those visions that I saw that supposed to be happening in the future, but, but it was more like my son I wanted to be there for my boy. You know, I wanted to show him to play baseball. I wanted to be the dad for him. It was a lot of pain. You know, most people don't understand as a severe burn burn patient, your body becomes hypersensitive. And when it's that hypersensitive, you got to desensitize it. To explain how sensitive my skin was, you could have rubbed a a feather across my hand and it felt like you were cutting me with razor blades. But every day you had to go into therapy and have therapists put your hands in different textures so you can desensitize it. Because if you didn't, you wouldn't be able to really function or or do much. And for me to try and, you know, be the father I wanted to be and, and the husband I wanted to be, I had to go through that pain So I could teach my son how to play ball. So I could, you know, in in the future, you know, get married with my wife, you know, walk down that aisle. And so I had to, and and that spark is what kept me going. And yeah, I'm not gonna say here that I did it on my own. No, I, I had friends, I have family by my side that will help me when I did go down sometimes that rabbit hole of despair and they will bring me back. So you got this. Don't give up. Remember what drives you. So, you know, that's what helped a lot for me to come out ahead.
0: When you were going through that too, I guess we should say as well that you were burned. Was it 80% of your body?
1: Yes, man. 80% of my body has third-degree burns.
0: So... When you have all of this team, like rooting you forward and driving you forward, where did you get the idea to use your story to help others? And, and to me, you just give off this energy of just radiating strength, because when I heard your story, and I hope it's okay to say this, I think people go back to themselves. And I know in my everyday life, I make mountains out of mohills. Everything just seems like such a big thing and such a big struggle. But when I heard your story, I was like, oh, like, it's not. Like, gosh, if Israel can do this, like, I can step back into my life and I can manage these things that are really mohills. What drove you to reach other people with your story?
1: I think it, it started back in the hospital. Because, you know, when I got out of the hospital I started going through therapy, did I miss being with my teammates downrange? Yes, I missed it. But I saw all these wounded service members all, and, and just regular patients here in the hospital as my team now. And as a role as, a, as an NCO is to take care of your team and to make things better for them, even though you may never see any of the benefits. So that's what I started doing to try and be there for them, be a voice for them you know, honor that promise. Because, yes, that promise to my dad, first, it was based on my brothers and sisters, but has evolved to now anyone that I feel that's like family. And, and, and those guys in the hospital were my family. So I had to step up and be that. We all do it. Even I do it sometimes where we're like, man, oh, my God, how am I going to get through this? And then you think of other things. Like, I remember one time having one of these bad days. Kind of down on myself, you know, feeling sorry for myself. And I think I might have even told the story in the book about Brian, who's in the hallway. He had lost his legs, lost his arm. And he was out there just laughing. He had his fiance left him and just giggling, having a good old time. And I was like, man, he has this so much worse than I do. And look at him having a good old time. He might have also been a, a little bit of high because he had a fentanyl pop in his mouth. So he was you know, elevated a lot. But, it, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, you know, I was like, you know what? I got this. I can do this. And so that's what I try to do. Because again, like you said, we all sometimes have those moments, a story that, you know, I don't know if you know who Tony Orlando is. He's a singer, you know, back in the 60s, 70s. I became real good friends with him. He sings, tie that yellow ribbon on that around that tree. So he, we became very good friends and he went at his house one day, he put up his garage door and he cut the tip of his finger off. And he was like, oh my God, oh my God. And he started thinking about me. I was like, man, why am I complaining? Let me just grab the tip of my finger and, and put it in the bag of ice and go to the hospital because well, DT has it so much worse. He's out ahead. Uh, so you know, it's, I hear stories like that where people are like making mole, you know, Mounds out of mold and, and And then I think of what you went through and how you didn't give up, but you kept going. I'm like, and now I'm like, I feel better. I, I got this. <laughs>
0: it's incredible. You know, it's just this energy where we feel depleted sometimes. And I just see you going around and I don't know if you have a press person, but if so, they're doing a fantastic job because <laughs> they're getting you everywhere you need to be. But you're just giving energy and life and hope and love back to so many. There was one part in your story too that just touched me so much where you said it was hard to look at yourself when you first woke up like from the burns and you didn't know how your son was going to react. Tell everybody that part too because your son is just a little angel. You know, for me,
1: uh, people always ask me, Hey, DT, did you ever wish to die during your recovery? It's like, no, not at all except for one day, which I call my darkest hour. As a burn patient, again, they want it easier to ease you into your transition what you look like now. So they cover up all the mirrors. Obviously, one can look down your body and say, okay, I'm missing digits on my hands. I, I got burns. But for some reason, your head, you think, well, I kind of probably still look alike, like myself in the face. And sometimes people see me as like, well, that's not too bad. It's like, you don't understand. When I first got hurt, I had no nose. You know, I had no upper lip, So, you know, I, I looked real bad. Again, they want to ease, the hospital wants to ease your, your transit, what you look like now. And then I saw myself, you know, I was, I had to go to the restroom. So my wife uh, and my therapist, Gary, who I call my guardian angel, he's a six foot six, bald white dude who, he was my physical therapist for helping me. And I slipped, and they grabbed me and I don't know who grabbed the towel off the mirror. And I saw myself and I broke down and I told him I should have died. I should have, you guys should have let me die. I should have been buried out there with some of my teammates that I've lost. I should have died. And and for me, it wasn't a vanity thing. It really wasn't. It was at the time, if I, at the time, I was 30 years old. And as a 30 year old man, if I thought I looked like a monster, what's my three year old son going to think? Because my son was my everything. My son was my spark. And the thought of him being terrified of me broke me, it crushed me. And it took, you know, about 45 minutes. And, and you know, they try to use everything, my wife and Gary, to motivate me. Just like, you don't know how hard you push and the pain you go through and you don't quit. You know, not only do you inspire the other patients, but you inspire the staff. How you just keep going forward. And I was like, I don't care. I want to die. And then Gary says, DT, because he knew why I was so scared. He's like, DT, trust me, all your boy wants is his dad back. That's all he cares about. And it took another about maybe 10 minutes to kind of calm me down and kind of get me back on the path and me push that fear, you know, to the back of my head and to get me back on the road and my recovery. And because of them, I was able to kind of overcome that moment.
0: Do you think too, a part of it, you know, because you've worked with so many guys who have gone through something similar or or been through very massive injuries. Do you th- think a part of it is like a loss of self-identity or do you have to go through like building up a new self-identity? How does that work?
1: Yeah, well, you, you do kind of, you know, lose who you were. I like to use like the phoenix, like it's my symbol. If people don't know what the phoenix, thing, you know, the phoenix is, the phoenix is, a, a bird of, of fire. And when it gets old, it dies into and turns into ash. And from those ashes, a new phoenix is reborn. And that's how I feel. Like, before my, my injury, I was that old phoenix. And, uh, you know, symbolically, yeah, I was on fire. And, and you know, I almost died three times. But from after that injury, I was reborn to this new person. And you got to kind of figure out who you're going to be now. And for me, You know, I always said, you know, I'm never going to let this injury, my disability define me. I'm going to choose what my life's going to be. I'm going to choose how I'm going to live. I'm going to choose how I'm going to thrive. And that's what you try and do. And and yeah, it's a little tough at first, trying to figure out who you are now, what kind of person you're going to be. But eventually, you know, with help, you kind of find yourself and and you find your path and and hope. Thank God I was able to do that.
0: One part in your story said that you, I I forget like the correct military term for it, but like, what's the word where you like leave the military, but then you like wanted to go back in?
1: Yeah. People kept asking me during my recovery, DT, what do you want to do? It's like, I want to continue to serve. I want to stay in the Air Force. And they're like, why? I was like, "Get get retired, get your retirement, get your disability. You're becoming good at this public speaking, and you can make money as a, as a public speaker. And yeah, they were right. A, a public speaker can make very good money. But I used to tell them, I was like, there's hundreds of thousands of people out there who make great money and hate their job. So why am I going to give up a job that I truly love? You know, I love serving my country. I love being in the Air Force. I love being a tag team, which is my career field, you know, tactical air control party. So why am I going to give that up just for a couple bucks? And, and yeah, it took five years to kind of show the Air Force that I could still contribute, that I still had value. Could I be an operator, you know, out there, outside the wire deployed? No. Unless we become like Star Wars and I get a cool Luke Skywalker hand and I use the Jedi mind trick on people, but we're not there yet. But I knew I could teach. I could actually get the next generation of special warfare operators ready. Uh, in February 2010, that's when I became the first 100% disabled airman ever to reenlist in the Air Force.
0: It's incredible, and I just want to thank you so much for your service. And I want to keep going here, but I just want to thank you for all you do for this world, and and for your service to our country, and the sacrifices that you've made. Oh,
1: thank you, ma'am. You know, it's I, I enjoyed it. You know, unfortunately, you know, I retired August of 2019 because I knew it was it was time for me to sacrifice for my family because. You know, they did it for 22 years. Time for me to be there for them. And it was tough. You miss it. I think you miss more of the camaraderie. But I knew it was time for me to start a first chapter in my life. And that's what I did.
0: Amazing. One of the things that I want to touch on, too, is promises. Because... I've had people in my life who I feel like I've made internal promises to and then also external promises to. And And one of the the things that you you talk talk about in your your book book that that just touched touched my heart heart so so much much is is you said that when your dad passed and you had made this promise to take care of your brother and sister, you didn't know exactly how to keep that promise. And it's something that kind of had to unfold with time of how you would keep that promise. Family can be so extremely complex and dynamic. And I've struggled with that in my own life because way before my father passed, he had another family after us and made me promise to keep in touch with my brothers who I didn't know very well and I I still am distant from. So I tried very very hard when he first past to keep that promise and their mom called me at one point and very lovingly sweetly said they just feel awkward because you guys haven't had a relationship for 15 18 years and it's hard to just start one right now and it's something that you know when something just kind of eats away at you subconsciously for a time I know promises are so important to you. How do you keep a promise sometimes when there isn't always a way?
1: You know that you're trying to honor that promise you did. You know if you if one didn't even attempt to honor it, it's hollow. You know, I'm I'm, I'm not perfect. I I try and get to people cuz I have people reach out to me all the time when you speak to this person, we speak to this person and, and and I try and get back to them as much as I can, but sometimes I just I'm so busy I can't. And usually it's you know it's like weeks, maybe sometimes months later after I try and get back to someone, and by that time you know they're like, well, I try to reach out earlier, but making the effort is what I think is what means more. Because again, we're you know, we're all human, <laughs> you know, none of us are perfect, but just to try and attempt the ability to honor that promise, but when you can't honor it. You do it, and, and, and that's how I do it. It's tough when you know, when people see you in the light that you don't see yourself in. You know, you, that you, the people see you as this inspiration, this motivational, or this, you know, the other the word they like to say, the hero, and you don't see that. You see yourself as just regular old DT that likes to hang out with his friends. You know, yeah, it takes him a little longer to get dressed, but he's still just regular old DT. And then you hear stories of how people's lives changed after they hear what you went through. And you're like, whoa, maybe they have. Maybe I understand a little bit more why they say that about me. Because again, yes. this kid that was 12 years old back in 1988 going think, to think he was going to become this person he is now and have his path guided by a promise he made his dad so long ago. No, no. I thought I was going to be just another regular guy, you know, go through life, have a family, you know, be in the military, get out of the military, do something else. But I never thought I was going to be this person, you know. Sometimes I, I, I like to compare myself to Forrest Gump because I remember where Forrest Gump, he t- tell, he's telling Johnny all these amazing locations he's seen, experiences. And, and that's how I felt sometimes where I got to see some cool things, jumping out of a plane cycling 75 miles for MS meetings, celebrity meeting presidents, and and you're like, wow, maybe I'm a little bit like Forrest Gump. Maybe he has something when he says, you know, life is like a box of chocolates. You just never know what you're gonna get. You know, so it is interesting.
0: What's guiding you now or what is kind of pulling you towards the future? Where do you want to go?
1: You know, for me, I just really want this book to reach as many people as they can, uh, because I can do public speaking, but I can't be everywhere. Mm -hmm. But a book or audio can go out to more people. But I'm also very realistic. I know I'm not gonna touch everyone, just like at an end of speech, I know that. But those one or two that really need to hear a story to help them find their spark, Mm -hmm. so they don't quit and still see the joy in life, then all that pain, all that suffering I went through all my life, all those obstacles, it's worth it because I'm I'm able to help those one or two that truly need it and continue to honor that promise I made to my dad. Friends of mine, obviously, they, they like busting my chops, you know, military guys. I was like, when's the movie coming out? I was like, who's going to play us? You know, I want The Rock to play me or I want, what's his name? Uh, the guy that played uh, Captain America or Thor. I was like, slow down, dude. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> let's just talk about this. But, but, but a lot of times I, I really like just I, hanging out on my ranch and, and just be on my tractor cutting my grass or, or going to car shows. Cause my dad was into cars and he got me into cars. So I like going to car shows. I'm a car guy. And, but you know, that's about it. You know, I try not to focus too much. What's next. I just let it happen. Whatever happens, happens. And As long as I got my family, my friends by my side, I'm good. I'm happy.
0: Your book is so amazing. It's called A Patriot's Promise, Protecting My Brothers, Fighting for My Life, and Keeping My Word. And here on the podcast, I'd say it's probably 99.9% female audience. It's an amazing read. You will read it and you just like grab your heart, you know, one page after another because it's just so touching spirituality in general tends to be very female dominated. And I find myself talking to women all the time about, well, Julie, how do we get these angel stories to men? And I I don't want to be a baby of the 80s who's kind of like uh, pushing gender roles or anything. (laughs) But for our generation, It is there. And this book is an amazing Christmas gift, birthday gift, holiday gift to the men in your life who need that extra spark, who need that hope, that that love, that faith to to drive them forward. And Israel, I just want to thank you so much. I really see you as an earth angel within this world inspiring, motivating everybody with your story. And I'm so incredibly sorry for everything that you had to go through. But just from the bottom of my heart, thank you for taking everything that happened and using it as fuel. You're going to make me cry. A really big spark in my life. So thank you. And thank you for being here on the show.
1: Oh, uh, Thank you, Julie. And you know, uh, yes, there's some tough parts of my story. But there's also a lot of laughter. I like to always include a lot of humor because humor, laughter is a great healing point. And that was one thing that when I wanted to write this book, you know, I, I hate I'm not I hate name dropping, but you know, John Stewart, a good friend, is like DT. He, he, he for years wanted me to write a book, and, and he's like, if, once I told him I was going to do it, he's like, "Please show your humor. You're a funny dude," and and that's what I wanted to do, and that's what I've been told from my friends. Like, they, well, the first they yell at me, it's like, oh my God, do you have me in a roller coaster? I'm <laughs> crying one point, I'm laughing the night, then I'm crying again, laughing. Uh, but I was like, okay, so I did my job. But it is, you know, again, laughter is a key, great healing. And, and that's what I wanted to do. And be prepared <laughs> for your, for your uh, viewers that uh, you're going to go on a little roller coaster, but it's going to be a fun roller coaster. Oh, and
0: it is. You are hysterical. You had me laughing so hard. Thank you so much for being here. Tell everybody, too, where they can find you if they just want to learn more or follow you over on Instagram.
1: Obviously, I'm on Facebook, which is my, it's my name. I'm under Israel DT Del Toro Jr. And then on Instagram, it's uh, IDT21. Twitter is I Del toro 21 and then, you know, I have my website, which is uh, deltoralstrong.com, where people can, you know, also reach out to me and, and email me. And if you want to need to talk to me, you know, reach out to me. And, and, and I promise I'll try and get to you as quickly as I can. Just if I don't, you know, don't hold it against me because I have tons of people always trying to reach out to me. And, and, and I try and get to back to them as many as I can.
0: It's, it's hard, but you're doing the best that you can. And that's all you can do. It's perfect. Thank you again, DT, for your service to our country. To all of the brave service women and men who are listening, and all of you who have children in the forces, thank you so much for your service to our country. I'm deeply, deeply grateful for you. Thank you for your story and for being an earth angel here. Oh,
1: thank you, Julie. Again, thank you for having me on.
0: Beautiful soul. Thank you so much for joining me today.